When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Welcome back, everybody, to Not Another True Crime Podcast. I'm Sarah Levine. And I'm Danny Murphy. You know us as your partners in wine, crime, and time. But Sarah, let everybody know why they're really tuning in this week. We are so excited, you guys. We have the creator, co-director, executive producer of the documentary that we are all obsessed with, Telemarketers, Sam Blitminstern. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you guys. And we just have to say, I mean, anybody who watched Telemarketers knows how dedicated you are to making a finished product looking great. He's currently for us in a stairwell in his hotel room for Wi-Fi and lighting needs. And that, I mean, is if you haven't watched the doc yet, that's reason enough alone to be like, this man is committed to a finished product. And I'm in South America. <laughs> I'm in Colombia. Ooh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am uh, I'm not even in the United States. I'm down south. Way down south. Are you there for, for work or play or both? Um, both. Actually, so I actually live in Colombia. So I live, I've lived in Medellin for two years. Uh, wow. You guys are always welcome there anytime. We got a place to stay. And, um, and, and so after the doc came out, I just needed a little vacation. So I went to the beach. So I'm here in Santa Marta. It's beautiful. And I've just been actually, I, tu- I turned my phone off for like five days to just relax by the beach, but I'm heading back home to the city tomorrow. But I'm back and forth between uh, the states and and, out, and Columbia for you know, actually three years in November. Wow, I like good for you. Yeah, I'm a character. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wild. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're both a character and a Jersey boy because yes. I'm from New Jersey as well. So that made me really happy to see in like the first few minutes you can of take the a boy documentary. Out of Jersey, but you can't take Jersey out of the boy. <laughs> oh God, bless that for better or for worse. Yes. For better or for worse. Yes. I'm <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Amazing. Well, we loved telemarketers. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the process was like taking it to HBO? Because we know it was so many years in the making, this documentary. Yeah. I mean, it's been a, what a journey. I mean, I, I first uh, left, first dropped out of ninth grade when I was 14, you know, in Jersey. I grew up in Highland Park, New Jersey, right by Rutgers University in Brunswick. And uh, yeah, dropped out of high school. My parents are, we don't really get into my own history family history my parents are just are total hippies so they were like they're pretty they're pretty hands-off uh they were into hands-off parents latch to what are they uh latchkey parents latchkey yeah 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 so they were like all right you can leave school but you have to get a job mm-hmm. so that's how and so i ended up working going to i ended up going to mcdonald's burger king and uh 
you know, they told me I was too young. So my buddy told me about the Civic Development Group. And I remember riding my bike across the bridge into Brunswick and um, doing the reading, going to the call center, reading the script, and getting hired the next day. So, so yeah, the journey goes. I'm 36 now, so we're talking about you know over 20 years for since first walking into the CDG office, and um, we I, I I pitched it to HBO in 20. Well, first, I brought it to uh, my cousin, Adam Ballo, who works with Rough House and Danny McBride. And um, and then we developed uh, the project for actually 13 months and then finally brought it to HBO um, in 2021. So it's been they, they picked it up. So that that was kind of the process. It's a, it's, yeah, it's been a 20 plus year process. And because that was the thing that shocked me so much watching it. I was like, all of this footage, I love that you were literally just this kid that was just filming everything going on because I, I'm assuming, like back then, you were just like uploading it to YouTube and everywhere, just more so for fun than anything else too at a lot of the start, which I feel it shocked me first. I was like, because you hear stories that happen, you're like, oh, if only there was footage. I was like, how does he have all this? But then when you say <laughs> that you were like a kid who just dropped out of high school, it tracks for like a high school or like a younger kid who's like, I'm just going to be like a little shit and film stuff. <laughs> totally, totally, a thousand percent. That was exactly what it was. I mean, yeah, my, my house growing up was almost like living on a hippie commune, but in central New Jersey in an apartment. So my parents always <laughs> would have people like living in the house. Um, so there was like there was a Puerto Rican shaman that my dad met in the Santeria shop in Trenton that lived on the couch. Then we had, um, you know, there was a homeless guy living in the pantry. So to get to the microwave, you had to jump, walk over, rob the homeless man. <laughs> and the, my parents think totally wild. And um, but there was a woman in Phoenix, a family friend of my parents, who was living with us too. She was a little bit down on her luck, and. She gave me my first camcorder when I was 13. And I was kind of just the kid that I just kind of gravitated towards the camera. And I was always, you know, the kid that was in the group of friends, like filming me, my friends smoking weed or, or just messing around in Jersey Um, and, and and painting graffiti. That was like my other big passion as, as a teenager. Um, But I was just gravitating. I didn't never thought of anything other than filming for fun. And then, um, when I ended up CD- at CDG, that's when uh, YouTube started. At the early days of YouTube, like talking about 2005, 2006. So we started just filming this these office shenanigans and just putting them up on YouTube. So that was, and there's, you can actually, it's funny, you can actually find them. They're kind of difficult to find, but there's like three YouTube channels. I'll send it to you guys so you have it. Like yes, yes. a few people have, have found these, come across them, but for the most part, they're kind of hidden in the depths of YouTube. But that's how it all began. I love that. <laughs> I mean, that's really dedication to pursuing a story, like two decades. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I've been obs- I was obsessed with the story for years, like totally obsessed. Yeah. Oh, because I was going to say, because it was interesting, like reading about like you've been doing a lot of like uh, documentaries and like for like outlets and everything like that for a while. Was this story always in the back of your mind that you'd like one day? I really could you talk about like, was it the timing just right now or were you just like, I just and or from the flip side too, like, 
to pitch it to like a network like an HBO, you're like, I now have enough of my own resume to show them like, hey, I know what I'm doing type of thing. Yeah, you know what? It kind of, so yeah, I was filming um, basically at CDG for working at Civic Development Group uh, up until they got shut down. I got fired for putting videos on YouTube as you see in episode one. <laughs> and then um, and then they got shut down in the, what was at the time the biggest consumer protection lawsuit in U.S. history. Um, and then Pat and I started the, going even deeper down the rabbit hole after that, but then kind of stopped the investigation and Pat kind of disappeared you see, in episode two. But, um, you know, it, during, so during that time, so I went to Temple Film School in 2010 in Philly, and then I started interning at Vice in 2011, so like the old days of Vice. And um, kind of worked my I got a job at Vice as a production assistant and then worked my way up to being like a producer director. Um, and it kind of worked in that like short form doc space for a bunch of years. Yeah. But I was always obsessed with the CDG story. Like literally it was, I have to do it before I die. Like that was in the back of my head. Like, I just, whatever it is, even if it comes out for free on the internet, like, I have to finish this thing. I used to dream about the project, like dream about CDG. Um, I was just totally obsessed. I just never had the opportunity to, even at some of those companies, to like get it, you know, to, to pitch it to them, even when I was working in some of these companies. Um, but I kept following the story for years and would read up about it. And I guess during that time, I was really, I was really uh, developing my skills as a documentary filmmaker because, you know, Vice, we always said, was like documentary boot camp working there in back in the day. So, and then um, I ended up moving to Los Angeles in 2016 and my mom, I was all by myself. I actually moved with an ex-girlfriend to LA from New York and then we ended up breaking up. It happens. My mom's like, you're all alone. You need to go see your cousin Adam who's a filmmaker. You know, very Jewish mother worried about me. <laughs> and you got to see your mother. You got to, you know, and, I mean, you gotta, you gotta see, you gotta see a cousin, you gotta see a cousin. Um, so, <laughs> so I ended up meeting up with my cousin-in-law Adam and, and his wife, who's my my, my cousin, who I didn't see since I was a kid, and that's how I linked up with Adam Balala, who's the co-director, my cousin. But um, basically, uh, it turned out that he had worked on a bunch of projects that I was a big fan of. I didn't even know. He, he directed a documentary. Uh, he directed a movie called Bomb the System, which was my favorite graffiti movie And when I was wow. a teenager. And he also directed, um, the, I don't know if you guys have seen the Little Wayne documentary, Harder. And so I was a fan of his work. I didn't know that my cousin-in-law you know, was a filmmaker. Um, and I was there. I was Adam and his wife's only family in LA, too. We moved from Brooklyn. So we just became really close. Yeah, so at the time, he wasn't working with Rough House. He was just kind of freelancing. Now, fast forward a couple months later, it was early 2020, right before COVID, and my cousin Adam calls me up. He's like, hey, dude, I just started working to, st to start the production, docu the documentary side of Rough House, the documentary arm of Rough House Productions, or Rough, Rough House Pictures for Danny McBride. And uh, he's like, do you have anything you want to pitch? like yeah sure i actually you know i have a bunch of ideas so i went in 
uh, to the roughhouse office and I pitched, I just elevator pitched telemarketers. And he was like, that sounds just, you know, right up our alley. That sounds amazing. And uh, he's like, can you send me some footage? So I sent him some of the raw footage that I had from the office and he sent it around to the roughhouse guys and they, everyone loved it. So then, um, he brought it. He also was friends with uh, Josh and Betty Safty, Adams, and so he brought it to the Safties as well, and they loved it. So we had like, you know, uh, two, you know, powerhouse production companies that were super into it and had like the same kind of creative uh, ideas of, that that Adam and I had. You know, we we never wanted to make something that was stiff or boring we wanted uh it to you if you were if you weren't watching and laughing and then also being shocked and also loving the characters it wasn't something that we wanted to make it wasn't we weren't trying to make something that was uh like a 2020 documentary it was supposed to you know, wait, it had to be <laughs> no, raw, Walters, yeah. raw funny uh just everything that was real just super true to the story so um so we ended up developing it with Rough House and Alara, which is the Safties production company. And, and then we brought it after we put together like a sizzle reel, we brought that to HBO and HBO was like super into it, super supportive. Thank God. There's old footage of Pat and, Pat and I um, in the office from like, I don't know, 2007 or something. It never got into the, into the documentary, but it's us saying maybe one day we'll get this on HBO. So that was kind of our <laughs> actually our dream all along was to get it on HBO. So it's very like surreal, and I almost have to like pinch myself. Like, okay. that, did it really happen? Are we re- did we re- really get it to HBO? Yes. So it's but we're yeah, it's, that's amazing. It's, it's been a wild journey. Thank you. It's been it's been so much fun, and it's so excited to have it out there right now. When it comes to the plant based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches. And honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash betches. I'm glad you brought up the characters because I feel like that was so much fun and so interesting about watching the documentary. I feel like we got to ask, how is Pat doing? How is your, your relationship? Pat's doing great. I, you know, um, he's, he's been focusing on taking care of his wife, Sue, you know, Sue is, has been struggling with cancer and different, you know, she's actually in remission right now. Thank God. But he just, his, you know, she's his, she is Pat's world. And I really respect him for it. I mean, he's just constantly, he's just fully taking care of her, taking her to uh, doctor's appointments. And and they have this just really beautiful connection. They're adorable. One of the best couples that I know. I mean, they've been together for, I guess, over almost 30 years now since I, you know, and, um, and, but he's, Pat's super happy and Sue's super happy. They love, you know, they're excited about the documentary pat's getting recognized locally which has <laughs> yes. been a help for him he's like yeah he called me he's like i just got recognized uh, at mcdonald's yesterday and he's he's like yeah yeah they're taking pictures with me i'm like that's cool man enjoy it enjoy the ride bro. <laughs> so he's just <laughs> I you know, love his uh he's just having a fun he's having a ball and sue's really excited about it we love you know the press is really you know pretty overwhelmingly positive and he's really excited about um Richard Senator Richard Blumenthal recently put out this. I guess it was yes. yesterday or the day before. No, it was, it was September 11th. Something like that, yeah. September 11th, yeah, yeah. Richard Blumenthal just put out that whole statement about that he's going to try to uh, make some changes in the industry. So we'll see what happens. You know, Pat still wants to do it. Pat's goal is still to testify in front of Congress. So, but this seems to be a step in the right direction. Yeah, so he's good. Pat's good. Do you think the documentary had something to do with Senator Blumenthal coming out with this announcement? Oh, a thousand percent. That I can say for sure. <laughs> because they actually were in touch with us the whole time. So they reached out. So look, I'm going to be totally candid. I mean, you know, we, we did. First of all, we really appreciate that the senator even took the time to meet with us. I mean, he, we reached out to a lot of politicians. He was the only one that would meet that would meet with us and hear hear out our case and hear everything. You know, and he didn't have to do that. So we definitely appreciate him him doing that. 
you know, um, and, and I think it was just a win just for Pat and myself to get from, you know, kind of being self-described losers working at a shitty telemarketing company to being in front of the senator, I think, and being, you know, in DC, I think I win. Um, that being said, you know, we were supposed to have an hour with the senator. He gave us seven minutes. What you watch in the documentary is pretty much uncut, you know, very little editing. And, and, and he promised that, you know, he promised, he told us that he, you know, he, his staff would meet with us right afterwards and to look at the evidence they didn't, which you can see in the documentary. And then we followed up with all, I think it was 70 or 80 pages of evidence, radio silence. You know, we didn't hear anything until episode three came out. And then <laughs> mm-hmm. his social media, I was told, was overwhelmed with comments like, what, you know, really, you know, call Pat, call Pat. I can't believe you did it to Pat. You know, they were just in all of his social media. I'm sure he got letters. Um, and so he, you know, he, he decided to take action, you know, so his, his, his team was in contact with us. They, they sent us the, um, you know, his pre- the press release before, before it went out to the public. And, and he also was interviewed for an, an article in, in, a, in a Connecticut newspaper. And he mentioned that he was a little bit, I don't, I don't want to quote him, but something like uh, he was a little bit caught off guard by Pat's untraditional interview technique, especially him taking his sunglasses <laughs> off in a dramatic like fashion. And that was kind of his excuse for why he did it so fast, which, you know, but I think it's, yeah, it, so that was definitely in response to the HBO documentary and really the response from the public. So it was, it was, people really reached out and, 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 you know, with comments and, and I probably emails and he, you know, he was, he had to say something. So. And well, obviously I'm sure that was like a hope for you when this came out. Did you think like the realisticness, did, did you think it would actually elicit a response? Cause you see so many times, like, a doc comes out and you're like, oh, that like that's gonna make people do things. And usually politicians could just go like they cover their eyes, have a long weekend, and then they're good. Were were you kind of surprised that it actually was able to elicit an actual response? Yeah, I really was. I mean, I thought there was gonna be some sort of of action or or attempt at action, but I wasn't sure I didn't think it was gonna come from the senator. I just thought, but I thought something would happen. I didn't know what I thought. I just thought there was going to be some kind of response um, in, in DC in some way, whether it actually did something or not. But uh, I was totally surprised. We were all the whole film crew. We were very surprised. Pat was surprised, you know, cause we hadn't heard anything when I mean, we followed up several times and, you know, there was, it was radio silence. So we were, we were not expecting to hear it. And I, I think it's, uh, it's really cool, and it's definitely a win, especially for Pat. I mean, that was Pat, you know, at its best. I, I was so proud of him in that interview because he was just—he came prepared. He was just on point, and you know, and it, and it really it worked. You know, it's, I, I hope you know we'll see what happens with the legislation, but but just that step is is going in the right direction. I was a little disappointed personally that. The senator didn't mention the police union's involvement in this crazy world of telemarketing for police organizations. Um, so it's a little bit like, in my opinion, until the police union 
involvement in this. And these are the major, the, the biggest police organizations in the United States, you know, the Fraternal Order Police, other police unions. And they've been wrapped up in this way of fundraising for a long, long time, you know. Um, so I think until they're held accountable, I don't know if you can stop this thing because you can take one telemarketing company down as we've seen over and over again. Um, but then these police organizations just jump in with another one, you know, so we'll see what happens, but I'd like to see some accountability. Uh, and I'd like to see a reaction from the fraternal order police. They haven't, I haven't seen any reaction from the fraternal order police yet. Well, that was going to be my next question is, have you heard anything from any of the unions? I know you guys got radio silence pretty much from all of them in the documentary. So we heard, so I don't in episode two, we interviewed uh, John Hulse, and he was the vice president mm-hmm. of the Police Benevolence Association. And so, so we, um, we, re- we heard from him and, and the P- Police Benevolence Association in New Jersey, and it was overwhelmingly positive response. I was getting texts, I was getting emails. Um, they are... The Police Benevolence Association is like the major union police union in New Jersey. And they are, they got wrapped up in their own uh, controversy with Civic Development Group in the 90s where they, when they were using CDG and they stopped using telemarketers after. Now, that doesn't mean that other states, police benevolence associations don't, uh, aren't using. It's just New Jersey. So they're New Jersey. PBA is very against um, telemarketing. And I think there also is some kind of competition. I think it seems like between them and the FOP. I, I don't know, but they're just <laughs> all, they put it on their website, the documentary. They're talking about it in their newsletters. Yes. I actually have a friend who's a cop in from the childhood. And he's like, he messaged me. And he's, I guess, in, I didn't even know he was in the PBA. But he texted me and he's like, Hey, dude, I just wanted you to know, like, they're bringing this up in, in the board meetings. Like, everyone in the PBA is talking about this documentary. So, you heard from the PBA. They, thumbs up for the PBA. So, okay. uh, yeah, at least in New Jersey. At least in New Jersey. Yeah, at least in Jersey. Jersey strong. Okay, that's Jersey. at least good to know. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, now, in terms of the FOP, no. Radio silence. I don't... Wait, no, that's, sorry, that's not true. The can, um, I believe it was the Connecticut... Fraternal Order of Police uh, were was the president of the Connecticut State Fraternal Order of Police was quoted in an article, and that said that it was the same one where uh, Blumenthal was interviewed, and the president said that we, that that they um, hadn't been they 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 still use telemarketers, but said their percentages that they get are much better, and so the documentary is hurting them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that was the one FOP response uh, that I saw. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 pretty wild stuff. I'm just curious now too, because obviously this telemarketers has been getting such great response and reaction from audience members. Uh, this was like your literal labor of like your entire life so far. Cause it's just been like your sleepy time, like dream to come true. Yeah, and now totally. it's come true. Do you have more stories that you like that have as strong a pull on you or for like the next documentary, uh, you want to do, is it something like, are you searching for 
the next inspiration? Do you have some things brewing? And would you want to be a little more removed from what you tackle next? Because this is like very personal to you. That's a really good question. So I had two bucket list items in my life that I was like, I have to do this before I die. You know, like one was to backpack from United States to Chile, which I did that in 20. That's how, that's how I did in 20, huh? in, in December, 2017, I was living in, uh, in Los Angeles and I, I, I went to the border of LA, which, which is two, uh, sorry, I went to the border of Mexico, which is two hours south of Los Angeles. And I just kept going south for six months, mostly buses and hitchhiking. So that's how I learned Spanish. And I ended up, um, wow. yeah, wow. yeah. Rosetta, <laughs> you can go to hell, Rosetta Stone. You <laughs> yeah, go, we're good. No, honey, I'm hitchhiking my way. Let's put the thumb on the side of the road. So um, that was a bucket list. I don't know why I always wanted to see Central and South America. I think big part of it was growing up in Central New Jersey. It's so diverse. So I had my second family was Puerto Rican. Like my best friend's family were Puerto Rican. I had friends who were Bolivian, Colombian, Ecuadorian, all these, uh, you know, Spanish speaking countries. So I was really interested and we're connected. It's the same continent. So um, that was a bucket list item. And then the second was to finish the telemarketing documentary. That was my other big bucket list item. Wow. I had to finish it. Now I'm creating some new bucket list items. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm always... I've been working in full time since I started in film since I started at Vice, you know, in 20, uh, 2011. So just full time, um, whether it was, you know, full time in offices for media companies or, or freelancing. Um, but I just love filmmaking. I'm so, I just love documentary filmmaking. Like I love telling stories. I never feel like I'm working as long as I'm working on documentaries. I have a few different ideas in the works right now. You know, um, but I'm also really, I don't know what's going to happen with telemarketers because now that basically anytime Pat calls me, I'm like, oh man, I should be filming with him. But he, if he ends up getting, <laughs> but I've been trying to give him a little space because I'm like, I've always, I'm an overshooter and I'm, I'm always like, you know, for the last couple of years, I've just been with Pat, like really filming with him a lot. So I'm trying to give him a little space, um, just so you can focus on Sue, which is totally understandable. But if we end up getting, uh, if we get, if we might, who knows what will happen with Blumenthal. If we end up being able to testify in front of Congress or Pat does, I'll be right there with the camera. I'm going to keep documenting. Um, he wants to do a cross country Amtrak vacation with his wife, uh, maybe Aww. to Los Angeles. So if that happens, he told me, please come along and film it. So I'm always like trying to film with Pat. And who knows what might happen? I mean, there might be we might be able to do some other work in the telemarketing space. I and mean, there's so many other telemarketing scams out there. My dad got scammed. They said his computer was broken. Someone called him, and he got scammed out of seven hundred bucks. So, I mean, there's some things brewing in that, possibly. And and now it's also like texts and emails and DM. Yeah. Like telemarketing has evolved too. It's insane. Big time. Big time. Um, and then I'm working, I've been filming with a bunch of reggaeton artists in Medi in Colombia. So I've been working cool. on kind of a, uh, kind of, I come from like a music background. I kind of got my feet wet, um, you know, started in this doing music, music videos, like rap music videos. So I might, you know, I'm working on some of that, but yeah, so I've got a bunch of stuff in the works, but I'm just real, I'm still kind of just 
now um, I'm still really curious what happens with telemarketers. Is there going to be change in this industry? Because the calls, as we're having this interview right now, you can find them online. I'll send them to you guys. There's websites that pick up the calls, which I'm obsessed with looking at. And the calls are going out right now more than ever, more money, police unions still involved. You know, now, as you see in episode three, you have PACs, which you have political action committees, um, you know, still calling for police, firefighters, cancer. Now they're doing autism PACs, which we, we don't see as much. We don't, we don't really explore that in, in the show. We focus a little bit more on the police element of it. But all these other scams, they're actual total scams. They're unregulated and they're calling for, hey, we're raising money for autism. And it all goes into, you know, telemarketers, businessmen's pockets um you know then you have artificial intelligence robocalls i mean this industry is crazy by the way i'll give you one little secret because i still have friends so i still have friends in the industry you know that are i have friends that never left they're still on the phones since cdg and there's they'll send me some pretty wild stuff so sam and pat memes have been banned from the group chats in the telemarketing industry, at least in the company uh, that some of my friends work at, which I think is hilarious. They, you cannot mention our names. And I was shown screenshots. Yeah. <laughs> like up there, That's like always, an honor. It's an honor. It's totally an honor. Um, the murderer who was in episode two is still, oh, yeah. he's still there. He's still calling. He's the best caller. And he was told that he was tricked into being in the documentary. That was his excuse. Um, he's also training to run a marathon. I always say, I'm all for redemption. I'm all for doing your time. That man should not be free. There's still people in prison for marijuana charges. And this dude, but but it's so what? darkly ironic. And, you know, it's, it's almost like there's like such very low, a, la- a layer of dark humor. This guy's the number one caller. And he's mm-hmm. uh, calling for police organizations as everyone's addresses, credit card information right in front of him. And, yeah. you know, you see in episode two, it's like he's murdering people on the phone when they hang up on him. It was scary to to see him kind of go off on the people after they hung up. That was, you that see, was yeah. terrifying. It, it was terrifying. And I'm, I was like this on the wall. Oh, yeah. And you were there. Thinking, yeah. Oh, my like God. With the camera. And I'm, and I, and I'm thinking. Well, first, I'm like, why is this guy letting me film this? Like, why is he doing this? Like, and I think it shows something about his, you know, wherever his mind is that he just, you know, let it loose. He's got serious anger problems and that he's taken to the extreme in several times. And yeah, so that was pretty wild. Um, but yeah, so that's, you know, another day in the, in the interesting world of telemarketing. another interesting day in your life too because you just all like you're like yeah i'm because i'd be like okay camera close i'm gonna go i would not be backpacking i would not be doing a cross-country train that sounds it sounds fun in theory sounds very stressful but you somehow make it through all these (laughs) oh that i am going we're we're there i am gonna be on your couch don't even question that oh i got i got a glamping for you ready to go Okay, glamping was not okay. I'll, okay, I'll try. I'll do glamping for you. I'll try. Right, I'll try right. my best. Bedroom. Yes. There's bedrooms too. Don't worry. There's, there's okay, I'll do bedrooms. Whatever I'll do bedrooms. Okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll 
thank you so much, Sam. We will see you in Colombia. And in yes. the meantime, we'll be looking out for your next documentary. Awesome. I really appreciate you guys having me. And uh, anything you need any time, oh. just let me know. Um, you know, Consider me a friend. Oh, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you, guys. I mean, now I am just like as obsessed with him as I am with the telemarketer's doc. And I don't think he realizes, I think he does, like, we are going, Sarah, to Columbia. I know. Like, I'm, I'm going. The second we'll he said chef, after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> done and done. Podcasting um, live. It, yes. If you guys have recommendations for us there, or, you know, I'm curious, recommendations for us to do in Columbia with him, or if you guys have, like, obviously not, probably not as crazy of work stories. But you know what I mean? Stories about where you've been. It's in a safe space. Put them in the Facebook group, not another true crime group. Or you could DM them to Sarah at not another true crime. Yes, I had you guys DM me stories of scams that you all fell for. I love that. So send that to me. And I was putting it on the stories. It's anonymous. And having people vote. And listen, like you, I promise you are going to be in good company. Because we've all fallen Mm -hmm. for some kind of scam or another in our lives. So Oh! (laughs) So DM me at Not Another True Crime Pod or at Sarah Lameem, where you can follow us on Insta as well. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. And also follow Danny at Kajmir Danny with the K. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. And until next week, we'll see you guys. Not Another True Crime Podcast is produced by Jorge Morales Pico, Sean Kilby, and Rebecca Sosmacat. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Sarah Levine. Be sure to follow at Not Another True Crime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and send all of your emails to NATC at Betches.com. Betches.